Welcome to Security Strategies in Government, sponsored by Anomaly on Federal News Network and 1500 AM. For today's show, we hear from Scott Algier, the Executive Director of the IT Information Sharing and Analysis Center, or IT-ISAC. To open up the conversation, I asked Algier about how cyber threat intelligence is a useful tool, but a tricky concept to nail down. There really is a lot of, I think, confusion around the term cyber threat intelligence. There really is not a common understanding of what that term means. You know, there, there certainly isn't a common lexicon uh, associated uh, around cyber threat intelligence. A lot of times when people talk about cyber threat intelligence, they're talking about sharing indicators of compromise or malware signatures. Sometimes people talk about cyber threat intelligence as analytical reports provided by others. So I think most of what is being shared today is focused on the daily and tactical indicators. But I, I think it's important also that we need to understand that there's a larger audience for cyber threat intelligence, and those are the senior level executives who need to make strategic risk management decisions. So one of the challenges in cyber threat intelligence at the moment is that there really is no common understanding of, of what we mean by that term. That certainly is a challenge if you can't pin it down from the, the very beginning. That being said, I want to get more specific to, Scott, what you're able to do in the ISAC space, in the Information Sharing and Analysis Center, and how this impacts what you do. How can ISACs improve threat intelligence coordination between not just the industry partners that you work with, but whatever ties you have with federal agencies? So one of the great values that the IT ISAC brings, and this is true with other ISACs, is not just the in-house talent that we have, but the ability to touch the leading analysts, the world's leading technology companies. So we're able to pull the knowledge of the really smart people of some of the very best companies. So we're able to share tactics and techniques analysis within our member companies. And then we're able to bring those, less, those lessons learned out and discuss them with our colleagues in, in the other ISACs. Or, hey, we're seeing some very interesting things within our membership focused on tracking actors. So we're seeing some really interesting work within our member companies about identifying what their information gaps are. And then we share that information, of course, within our membership, but also with within the other ISACs. Dealing with working with the federal enterprise has really seen some really significant improvements recently. So there's been a, a sustained efforts across the federal enterprise to share more sensitive indicators in a more quickly. We're seeing this across the government. It's not always 100% successful. It's not always uh, as good as we want. Uh, but I think overall. We're seeing a lot more engagement from the government to industry when there are specific threats that they want industry to be aware of. And we're seeing more analytical reports from the federal government that, that are actionable, that provides information that our members can use to manage threats against their networks. And of course, we're seeing government agencies who deal in highly classified environments sharing uh, malware samples with the virus total. So I think we're seeing a, a pretty good uh, collaboration across the board between industry and government. To that point you made towards the end there, just the sensitive nature of what we're talking about here, what are some of the barriers that you've observed when it comes to collaborating in the space, when it comes to working with the community of vendors, when it comes to cyber threat intelligence? How is that working out? I think it's working out well. 
obviously we continue to move forward and try to find ways to improve. I think barriers in general in information sharing within industry is that not every company has policies and procedures in place that govern when they can share, how they can share. So I think as companies are developing these policies and they're empowering their employees to share, I think that is improving industry's uh, collaboration. I think one of the other areas that we can uh, improve uh, is to... in terms of collaboration is maximizing the operational value beyond the security analysts. We're, we're primarily sharing today is focused on security operation centers, technical t- telemetry, focus on the frontline defenders, but where we need to enhance some collaboration is through the more senior level executives, because they're becoming more vocal in their desire to obtain more comprehensive strategic risk-based data to support their decision-making and mitigate operational threats. So I, I think those were kind of the two areas that we see potential areas of improvement. What recent trends have you seen emerge in the sharing of this CTI, this cyber threat intelligence? We're seeing more and more information being shared. So some of this is related to companies empower, seeing the value of the sharing and empowering their employees to share. Some of this is the result of automation, stick taxi, uh, for example, our custom APIs that enable the more rapid machine-to-machine sharing of information. We're no longer copying and pasting from Excel spreadsheets. And then I think a third element of this is within the information sharing communities, we're developing trusted relationships within our members. So, for example, within the ITI SAC, we have special interest groups, and one of our special interest groups is focused on security intelligence. So we're bringing in the lead analysts from our member companies who are have the responsibility for finding the sophisticated actors within their environments, and we're they're sharing with each other about tactics that they use, techniques that they use, how they're finding incidents. And this, of course, serves as a multiplier effect. Now, other companies can learn from their experience, can learn from what they've done. They can now more rapidly build their capabilities and the kind of closing the capabilities gap, if you will, between within the membership. The other items that we're doing within to forge that collaboration is forging special interest groups around common business units. So, for example, we have a group of food and agriculture companies who have a different set of threats, your traditional IT companies. So instead of asking them to share what their threats are with the whole membership, uh, we've created a special interest group for the food and agriculture community where they can talk about specific threats to their environments and how they're addressing them. Similarly, we have a similar group set up for the elections industry, the voting systems manufacturers. They have unique security interests that are best done by collaborating with common companies. So we have a form where where we bring those companies together. So the point of this is that by building that smaller communities within the larger membership, we're able to build a trust that facilitates more robust information sharing. Interesting. Yeah, building these smaller communities. We were speaking previously about the federal enterprise's role in this. And then to your point that you just made about these smaller communities, Scott, what level of engagement does the federal government have in these communities that you described? So we consider the Department of Homeland Security and other federal agencies to be partners of ours. Having strong relationships with them has been our goal from since we were founded. 
um, and we consider them to be you know, valuable partners of ours. The ITI SAC members is limited to private sector organizations, government agencies, whether state, local, federal, uh, government agencies are not uh, ITI SAC members, but we do have uh, strong working relationships with them. And we engage with them on everything from uh, building a cyber incident response plan to working on the critical functions, the national critical functions identifying what the IT sector's specific functions are. So there's a, and of course, operational threat information sharing. So there's a wide range of issues, policy and operations where we engage with our fellow partners. And Scott, this has been a pretty good snapshot of where we are currently looking in the short-term future in the next couple of years. Where do you see things going? The cyber threat intelligence field is, there's a lot of activity, as, as, as you've noted. What, one of the best things that we can do as a community, I think, is to try and focus in a little bit more on what does cyber threat intelligence means, and then this will help us understand how we can add better value to each other. In addition, and I, we certainly expect the trend to automation to continue. The um, advent of Stix Taxi has provided us a lot more indicators that we can share with our members, which is a good news and bad news thing, right? Hey, we have more indicators is the good news, but bad news is we have more indicators, right? So helping companies make sense of the indicators that they have and how those indicators relate to their environments is really important. One of the items we're, we'll be looking at within the ITI SAC is how we can help our members on the vulnerability mitigation. What we mean by vulnerability mitigations, right? is looking at exploits that are occurring, active exploits that we can better identify and share with our members so that they can then take protective actions. The looking at a indicator in a haystack approach is, you know, it's it's been valuable for a long time, but now the more indicators we get, the harder it is to find that indicator in a haystack. So we're looking at ways how we can help members, how we can help our members by identifying vulnerabilities that are being actively exploited that are meaningful to them that they can then look at you know, look at their environments or those those vulnerabilities within their within their network. And then of course the other part of that is helping bring more context and awareness, uh, better understanding the indicators that we are sharing, helping member companies prioritize what's meaningful to them so that they can they can take more effective actions. A lot of the requests we're getting from members is for helping understanding how they can prioritize the indicators that we're we're providing them. So we'll be spending some time in the, in the, in the short term to try to assist them with that. You had hinted uh, a little earlier ago about the role of automation in some of this. And, uh, you know, I can only imagine that's going to have a, a bigger role going forward. How might things like AI and machine learning impact the way government and industry gather cyber threat intelligence? Yeah, so automation is a really interesting topic, right? So... The automation is beneficial right now in a couple of ways. One is in the ability to more rapidly share the indicators. Another is the, the ability to consume those indicators. Right? And now we're also at the point where you can automate defenses. There are tools now that enable enterprises to automate defenses. And one of the values there is that you're, you're freeing up human time, right? So you can put humans to more productive uses looking for more advanced threat actors or getting to some of the patching that hasn't been done. So the automation, um, the more automation we do, the, the better the ability to free up the human time and put them to better use, I think the better the better we'll all be. And I think we need to 
within the ITI stack, we need to better understand how members are using machine learning and AI within their environments. Now, I'm hopeful that we can have members share with each other on how they are leveraging those tools, um, talking with each other about how they're implementing AI and machine learning within, within their environments. And this type of collaboration and discussion, this knowledge sharing can increase the capabilities across our membership. Changing gears here a little bit, Scott, um, you know, we've been talking a lot about critical infrastructure in maybe the abstract here, but, you know, I want to drill down into uh, maybe a specific example. Um, we did have elections in certain states, and that's always a big concern for people when we talk in this space. What are some of the challenges that state and local governments face when it comes to defending this kind of critical infrastructure, specifically elections, from these cyber attacks, and what role uh, does CTI play in uh, in this picture? Yeah, so in terms of elections, there are multiple components of the election system, right? The state and local governments, they have resource challenges, I think, just as anyone else does. Right? When you look downstream at local governments, there are some pretty small municipalities that do not have a lot of resources. Um, and then some of these governments might have a person doing IT, but they many of them likely do not have a, a team of cybersecurity professionals on staff. And then additionally, another component of that, state and local elections officials tend to have their own autonomy and their own budgets. And they're also... They have a lot of competing priorities uh, when it comes to implementing successful elections. So I think um, when it comes for the state and local responsibilities for election security, I think resources is one of the key challenges that they have. Getting resources together to defend the local voter registration database from a sophisticated nation state attack, probably not something that most municipalities have. Let me fold in one other actor there. Uh, we were speaking about this in the context of, of state and locals, but the, the federal government has a role in this too, you know, with, with CISA uh, keeping a pretty close eye on, on things. With that in mind, what have you seen as some of the best practices or lessons learned when it comes to all of these partners being on the same page, essentially, federal government, state government, locals? as well as industry partners. What have you seen as, as those best practices in this space? So the elections industry is, as you know, is very diffuse and diverse. The authorities for elections are at the state and local level. Um, so the, the, uh, the machines are made by private sector. Um, the federal government has a role, has an interest in having secure and resilient elections. So you're right that there's there's a lot of moving elements to this. I think one of the uh, things that we've learned since we've been involved in this space is that um, everybody is interested in having safe and secure elections, right? The, the state and local governments are interested in that. The federal governments are interested in that. The, the voting systems manufacturers are interested in, in that. And so therefore, you know, every, and everyone also has a responsibility, has a role to play in making sure that the, the elections are secure. As a result of that, we all really have to work together. I think one of the one of the areas where we're working on, on, on this is working with the voting systems manufacturers on our coordinated vulnerability disclosure programs. And this 
touches on all of those aspects, this, the state and local, the, the, the federal, as well as the private sector interests. Everybody wants the voting machines to be safe, but the voting machines are manufactured by companies, sold to states. So what we're working on is working with the um, with the voting system manufacturers and trying to bring, trying to collaborate with researchers to partner on a coordinated vulnerability disclosure program in which the we can engage the research community to identify vulnerabilities within those voting machines. Uh, the voting machine manufacturers would then be able to collaborate uh, with those researchers on the fixes and then engage the, the owners of the machines, which would then be their state local our governments, on how to deploy fixes for those machines. What we're trying to do here is build the partnerships across those, uh, those various levels, the researcher community, the, the industry community, state and local governments, and of course, the the team over at CISA um, and DHS, so that everyone can have faith that we're proactively collaborating to mitigate the vulnerabilities within the within the election systems. Because you did bring up the, the vulnerability disclosure policies, you know, I do want to flip that a little bit and maybe take that in a different direction. CISA, as well as the Office of Management and Budget, have their own kind of rulemaking regarding vulnerability disclosure policies, specifically in federal agency systems. The goal there and the focus there is that all federal civilian agencies should have a, a VDP, a vulnerability disclosure policy, in place. Scott, any thoughts there? What some best practices there should look like? So CBD programs um, are really important. They help vendors engage with good faith researchers to identify and resolve vulnerabilities in their products. So I say vendors, but in this case, you know, for federal enterprises, it could be, you know, government agencies who, you know, if they have vulnerabilities on their websites that they don't know about, a good faith researcher can bring that to the agency and get that. Uh, get that fixed. One of the key values of a coordinated vulnerability disclosure program is that it helps mitigate the risks to the end users, right? If a vulnerability is announced before a fix is available, the end user is placed at a greater risk. So coordinated vulnerability disclosure programs can help improve the security of systems by helping vendors, enterprises, government agencies um, identify and mitigate vulnerabilities. CBD is a pretty common practice within within the IT sector. We issue over-the-air patches uh, on a pretty routine basis, right? So it is something that the IT sector has um, been supportive of. Uh, one of the interesting aspects for me, at least, is how many other sectors have now adopted coordinated vulnerability disclosure programs. So not only are we looking, uh, are we working with the elections industry on this? But the aviation community engaged in CVD, uh, in CVD within that community, the health industry, automotive industries, these industries that are not traditional IT uh, sectors are also engaged and have CVD programs. So CVD programs are really important. When done properly, they help to protect the the end users. And it's really important um, that companies uh, have CVD programs in place. Um, many you know, companies within the IT industry already do. So it's really encouraging to see that the government is, is, is looking to adopt these policies uh, government-wide. That was Scott Algier, the executive director of the IT ISAC. 
This has been Security Strategies in Government, sponsored by Anomaly. I'm Jory Heckman.